I'm going to propose a question, a simple question at that. Who has a basic understanding of what shaped cities across America in the late 19th century to early 20th century? In today's podcast, I will be diving into the depths of organized crime in the Windy City, also known as Chicago. So what is organized crime? Organized crime is when a group of individuals come together and perform acts that are illegal and often violent. This can be traced all the way back to the 1800s when street gangs were present. One of the earliest groups like this were the 40 Thieves Gang in New York. Hundreds of Irish-American immigrants came together and felt as if they could not rely on anyone but themselves. These people saw organized crime as a way to improve their lives and gain protection from the law and corrupt police officers. Members were given criminal assignments to complete, and the group became very successful. Organized crime grew even larger, and in the early 1900s, many groups started to become prevalent. Most notably, it was the American Mafia, an Italian-American organized crime group with connections through cities in the United States, mainly in Chicago and New York. It became extremely successful in unlawfully selling alcohol and liquor during the Prohibition era. In 1920, the United States government declared this, the distribution of, or sale of alcohol to be illegal. Gangs began to sell alcohol and liquor illegally as each hoped to become more successful than the other. Italian crime families also got involved in this manufacturing and distribution. Leaders such as Lucky Lucino and Al Capone became famous for running large criminal acts and activities. So let's get into Chicago, the city I actually researched. So even before prohibition was put into place with the Volstead Act, criminals in Chicago found ways to make profit from taking part in illegal activity. So gangsters bought off waves of police officers and politicians who then chose to ignore this illicit activity. This type of law that was enforced was almost as unethical as the actual crime that was taking place. This left the uncorrupt side of the government powerless in fighting these gangsters. In the 1920s and 30s, the organized crime scene grew for many reasons. One reason being the environment and setting in which it took place. Population growth in Chicago during this time made it extremely hard for the government to operate efficiently. Immigrants and people from other parts of the United States were very attracted to the industry and commercial parts of Chicago, and they hoped to create a better life for themselves and acquire a new job. Um, so this caused the influx of working class people and caused Chicago's boundaries and population to spread into the suburbs. And um, this growth was not matched by more law officials and police officers. So the number of people entering Chicago uh, outweighed the police officers and um, officials that were in Chicago. So here's a quote by John Ledesco, who wrote a novel about organized crime in Chicago. And he says, the, the growth of Chicago has been too rapid for the proper coordination and formulation of its governmental structure. This quote basically summarizes what I just touched on. So another reason why organized crime in Chicago advanced was because of how the city's children were exposed to this criminal activity at very young ages. Um, seeing, an, seeing and even being a part of illegal activity set the stage for being involved in this activity when they grew up. Ledesco said in his book about organized crime that the gangster is a product of his surroundings in the same way in which the good citizen is a product of, product of his environment. So crime was present and was very popular because it was a way to make significant money without having to work a legitimate job. So these lawyers and doctors and business, businessmen didn't really have to worry because they were paid very well. But on the other hand, people of the lower class of Chicago would not have these types of jobs and therefore not get paid a lot of money. They had unskilled labor positions, which would barely um, provide them enough to sustain a nice life. And uh, these problems were only amped up by the Depression. So they kind of started to hustle and they resorted to crime. And this was an alt alternate outlet to make money. 
Um, so Studs Lonegan, which is a protagonist in James Farrell's trilogy, describes his own experiences growing up in the south side of Chicago. And he is a boy in a lower class family who is a painter, which is obviously doesn't pay very well. And he is lured in by the desire to make an easy living. So eventually he wants to leave his job as a painter and become a gangster. And he says, quote unquote, this was the real ticket to get the dough. And Chicago was a city where governmental forces were corrupt, as I touched on earlier, and they were looking for bribes. So this corruption allowed organized crime to grow as rapidly as it did. And uh, officials that stood in the way of criminal activity were bought out. Um, so gangsters would try to team up with these officials to become immune to punishment. So the quote I'm about to read summarizes the context that made organized crime unavoidable in Chicago during the early 1900s. It would be foolish to expect such an environment to produce a moral and law-abiding youth possessing the right theories of life and of success, when everywhere around him he sees official lawlessness and vice in the saddle. When he sees his hard-working father laboring for a few dollars a day and accumulating nothing, and the bootlegger and the gambler riding in limousines. So this quote is pretty self-explanatory, and it is explaining how the youth saw their older peers participating and ultimately succeeding in illegal activity, and these kids later followed suit. Prohibition, how it affected citizens of Chicago and organized crime. Before prohibition became an actual law, there were previous attempts to take away alcohol from Americans. The Prohibition Party was formed, and so was the Women's Crusade, which took place from 1873 to 1874. They wanted the destruction of liquor and the closing of saloons, and they demonstrated this mainly through petition campaigns. Later, civic groups were formed to organize this ban on alcohol. The most notable civic group was the Anti-Saloon League, which had offices throughout the states and worked closely with churches to push this movement forward. Because we declared war in 1917, prohibitionists got the support they needed to put this Volstead Act in place nationally. The war was very serious, and this same tone was needed for the citizens of the United States. Prohibition created a large drop-off in consumption in the first few years, but after this drop, the amount of consumption of alcohol began to rise again. This rise was caused by bootlegged alcohol. In the 1920s, bootlegging was growing, and in the 1930s, it was extremely organized. 10,000 speakeasies were open, and speakeasies were illicit liquor stores, and they illegally sold alcohol, and also many blind pig bars and saloons were put in place. So these saloons had blank fronts, so their purpose would not be given away, and people also entered through side doors, with bouncers looking through peepholes to monitor who could get in. This is a very secretive system, and bootlegging liquor stayed very popular because of how it made huge, how it made huge profit. Uh, the cost of manufacturing was not even comparable to how much money it was bringing in. So gangsters also managed whorehouses, and I guess that's pretty self-explanatory. And Jim Colosimio and John Toro were key in the organized prostitution in Chicago. Um, and they later passed this business to Al Capone, which I'll touch on Al Capone a little bit later. And prostitution and gambling provided gangsters with skills that were needed to successfully move on to larger crimes. Luckily enough, I was actually in Chicago this past weekend, and I asked the group I was traveling with if they knew who Al Capone was. Yes, they knew that he was present in the organized crime scene, but they did not understand how significant he really was. Um, to be honest, uh, Capone kind of looked like your average Joe walking around the street. He was a chubby 5'7 dude and always wore his famous gray top hat wherever he went. So Capone was born in Brooklyn, New York in 1899, and his family came to America searching for a better life. 
Being one of eight children, it was certainly not expected that Capone would become one of the most infamous gangsters in all of American history. So when he was in the sixth grade, he started playing hooky and hanging out at the Brooklyn docks, and he kind of fell behind in his classes. And one day, Capone's teacher hit him for intolerant behavior, and he struck back, um, and he never returned back to school after that incident. And at this time, the Capones moved out to a better home. Here, Capone met his soon-to-be mob mentor, Johnny Torrey. And when Capone moved to his area, Torrio was running gambling operations near Capone's house. Uh, so Capone started to run small errands for him, and in 1909, Torrio left Brooklyn for Chicago. And even when this happened, the two stayed very close. A few years later, in 1917, Torrio introduced Capone to Frankie Yale, who was a gangster that worked with Torrio. Yale employed Capone as a bartender and bouncer at the Harvard Inn in Coney Island. So one evening, Capone made a rude remark to a woman at the bar. Her brother punched Capone in the face and then scratched him across the face, which earned him the nickname of Scarface. When Capone was 19, he married May Coughlin. Now a father, he wanted to be a good family member, so he moved to Baltimore, where he, was a job, where he had a job as a bookkeeper. This innocent job came to a close after Capone's father died of a heart attack in 1920. Torrio invited Capone to, con to come to Chicago, and he gladly accepted this invitation. Um, in Chicago, Torrio was involved in a booming gambling and prostitution business, uh, but this all changed when Prohibition was put into place. So when this happened, Torrio was focused on a new field of crime. This was bootlegging. I already touched on bootlegging earlier, and... Um, yeah, so how did Capone play into Torrio's plans? So after Torrio seemed sensed brilliance in Capone's street smarts, he immediately promoted Capone to his partner. After William Denver was elected to become the new mayor of Chicago, it became extremely hard to run crime. So Capone and Torrio decided to move their operations. These two decided to move to the suburbs of Sicaro. Here, Capone employed his brothers, with his brother Frank taking control of the local government and his other brother Ralph operating a brothel, also known as a whorehouse. So as he put his brothers to work, he opened up a gambling house. And Al Capone slowly started gaining control over the city, but sadly his brother Frank was shot and killed by the Chicago Police Department when he was causing trouble with election, election workers on election day. After being imprisoned for nine months, Torrio abandoned his life of crime. Capone inherited this crime scene that Torrio built, um, and now that he was working alone, Capone continued to expand on his bootlegging market. So he met the humongous demand for alcohol with an even larger supply. Everyone wanted alcohol, and Capone was the plug. I mean, let me tell you, at this point, he was raking in millions and millions of dollars, and it was simply just too easy for him. And by the early 1929, the gang warfare reached its climax with the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. So Capone was the Michael Jordan of the crime industry, and although he rose to fame and was making millions and millions of dollars, other gangsters wanted in on this action, including Capone's longtime rival known as Bugs, Morin. So Morin had previously tried to kill Torrio and Capone, but now he was after Capone's number one hitman, whose name was Jack McGurn. Because of this, Capone and McGurn decided to kill Morgan. On February 14, 1929, McGurn's gunmen dressed as police officers and killed seven of Morgan's men in the Northside garage. Morgan happened to escape, and Capone was blamed for this massacre and was named Public Enemy Number One. After this massacre, Capone gained absurd amounts of hype and was later arrested for tax evasion and wound up serving 11 years at Alcatraz. 
After his release, he was suffered he suffered from poor health and later died of a heart attack in 1947 when he was 48 years old. So when it was all said and done, Al Capone wound up as one of the richest and most notorious gangsters of all time. Thank you for listening to this podcast, and I hope you learned something about the organized crime scene in Chicago. Thank you.